So who wrote this? Samuel wrote it. Nathan and Gad wrote it. It's right there in Scripture. It tells us who wrote it. We don't have to question who wrote it. Um, Samuel also probably, more than likely, wrote uh, the book of Judges. And that's where actually we're going to start today because you can't really go to the good until you understand how bad. It's awful. Um, The purpose of this book is to set the theological stage for the Mashiach. It it sets it up perfectly. There's all kinds. (laughs) It sets it up perfectly. And every time... There there are phrases in here that we're going to come across. There are phrases in here that we're going to come across that will... um, you will recognize and you will say, that's exactly what it says about Jesus. That's exactly... You know, it's just like when Abraham uh, meets um, uh, Melchizedek in the Valley of the Kings. And what does Melchizedek do with Abraham? He blesses him. Abraham was so impressed that he gave him a tenth of all the spoils. He just Abraham had just captured five kings. And what what else does Abraham, what does Melchizedek do? He brings out bread and wine, which is what? A precursor of the Eucharist. It just our mind goes there. And your mind's going to go there several times in Samuel as it sets a stage uh, for the Messiah. Who are the nemesis, the great nemesis of Israel? Anybody? I'm sorry? Themselves. Themselves? You're getting too theological. I won't name. The Amalekites, the Philistines. Let's look at this. This is a map of Israel, and y'all know that... I could do this all day. I love this. Um, but this one shows where the uh, when when they crossed Jericho, when they crossed over Jericho, when they came across, when they came out of Egypt like this, and they went up into the eastern side of the River Jordan. That's where they came. They came first across the Edomites. Who are the Edomites? Esau's Esau's people. This is Esau's people. Remember Esau sold his birthright? He's not even Jewish. He's an Edomite. So they came by the Edomites and they asked the Edomites, can we go through your land? The Edomites said, no. So they had to go further around. Then they came up and they came to the Moabites. And what happened? There's a lot of significant things that happened while we were there. But one of the things that happened... in this area you know when they spent 40 years traveling somewhere that would normally take you 6 months God made them wander and so they're in that area with the Moabites and what happened the people were falling into such literally hedonism that it was they couldn't even be called they were still trying to play act like they were children of God. Does anybody, you know, 1 Samuel is about Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli. Does anybody remember what the first Phinehas was? Phinehas, by the way, means black. 
They were probably he was probably lying. Does anybody remember what the first Phineas did? It says that the children of Israel were playing harlot with the Moabites. They'd invited all these beautiful Moabite women into their camp. And they even named this guy, and I didn't write it now, I can't remember. But there was a man and a Moabite woman, and they were in a tent, and he was on top of her. And what did Phineas do? He did what? He took a spear and drove it through both of them. And it's the only time in the Old Testament they use a word, atonement. He atoned for the sins of the people. So they're making their way up. They're making their way up from Moab. Nothing really happened in Reuben. They went to Reuben and there's Gad. And then they came across... The river, they had to cross the River Jordan. Remember what happened when they took the Ark of the Covenant through the River Jordan? They tried it. Now here's the problem. The River Jordan gets its water from up here, Mount Hermon. There's actually a ski resort on Mount Hermon today in Israel. It's in the middle of the desert. It's hot. It's got a ski resort. It's that high. And the water that fills the Jordan is icy cold. And it drops 3,000 feet from there to there. So it's moving water. And Joshua said, take the Ark of the Covenant and go across. And they're like, yeah, right. And these guys have got this thing on these poles and the little Ark is in between them. And so some of them have to go down into them. And when you do that, what could happen? It could slip. And if it touches you, what happens? What does it? You're dead. So they're not only going down into the water, but the water's icy cold. And so, and also remember, these are people of the desert. They can't swim. Uh, I wouldn't. <laughs> so you're telling me, take this deadly thing, walk into where it's deeper than you. Right. It's going really fast. And trust me. <laughs> and trust me. That's yes. the deal. So when the first guy stuck his foot in, God parted the water. And they walked across. And that's how they got. So they've seen all these miracles all along. And then Jericho, they walk around seven times, they destroy it. The next city they go to is Ai. And that's all in this area. And that's all in this area that we're get, we're going to talk about. Jerusalem is where's Jerusalem? Anybody see us? Yeah. Right above the big Benite. Oh yeah, right there. Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is 14 miles from the Dead Sea. You know on the Jericho Road there's a room where only two? No more, no But So it's only 14 miles. It's 20-something miles from there, actually from Shiloh, 20-something miles to the Mediterranean Sea. So this is just a tiny... This is no bigger than Middle Tennessee. It's just a tiny, tiny area. And we've got all this going on. Um... Okay, let me, let me go to Judges. Look at Judges 20-something. I'm going to try to tell most of the story because it's just too gruesome. This is Sunday school. and We can't read the Bible because it's too gruesome. Yeah. This, let me see how one, one uh, commentator, you know when I also, every time I look up commentaries, I 
get a big chuckle because the saying is that when angels need a good laugh, they read commentaries. Uh, Here in Judges, um, he gives us the ugliest story in the Bible. Remember, this is probably written by Samuel. Uh, Go to Judges uh, 19. Judges 19, and we'll we'll play there for just a minute. Um, So there was a a Levite. A Levite. Now tell me who... Go back to that Phineas story, Numbers 25, when he atoned for the people. That's how Levites became the priestly tribe. Now they're the priestly tribe. What are they... so what would set a Levite apart? What's, what's he supposed to do? Supposed to be religious, supposed to be God's leaders. Supposed to be God's leaders. And it's interesting that this Levite marries a concubine. They refer to his wife as a concubine. Now why would they do that and not just his wife? I'm sorry. Is he married more than once? He could be, yeah. Dedicated to God. Well, the Levite's supposed to be, but the concubine, why was she called a concubine over and over? Not a, not a Jew. Huh? Not a Jew. Okay, she's Goyim. She's Goyim, which is anything other than he, Jewish is Goyim. We're going, Goyim. Um, and she hasn't accepted his faith. She's not, I'm not even sure if they're married. But this Levite has his concubine, and they were in the remote, look where they were, who lived in the remote area, hill country of Ephraim. He took a concubine from Bethlehem. I mean, this is Jesus stuff. This is right where we are. Uh, Elkinah, who we're going to, Hannah's husband, is a Levite from Ephraim. This is right where we are. She was unfaithful to him. She left him, went back to her father's house, and goes back to her father's house, and she's living with her father, which brings great shame on not only him, but her father's household. She has not fulfilled her marriage vows if there were so. She hasn't done any of that. And so she's living with her father, and the Levite goes and says, I want to, I want to get my wife back. I want to put my family back together. And, they, and so they stay there for four days. At the end of the fourth day, they say, okay, it's time for us to go. And the father-in-law's like, well, you know, it looks like it might rain. Why don't you stick around another day? After six days, the Levites had enough. And he <clears throat> says, I'm out of here. And they go, let's see, they go and they want to head up and try to reach, look at verse 13. Come and let's try to reach Gibeah or Rama. Rama is where Elkanah is from. Let's try to reach Gibeah or, or Rama. And so they go on and they and went that night and they neared uh, they neared Gibeah and they could not find a place to stay. And ultimately, there's an old man that says, you can stay with me. And they say, look, we got hay for our donkeys. We got, we got food. We, don't, we just need a place to stay. It's really not safe for us to stay in the city square. And so they went and they spent they stayed that night with the with 
the old man. But as it got dark, the men of Gibeah come out and say, send that man out so that we can have sex with him. And ultimately the compromise is, no, I'll send you my virgin daughter and this man's concubine. And so he did. And they had sex, the men of the city had sex with her all night long to the point that she died. And they found her dead on the doorstep the next morning as they go out. That's not even the bad part. Here's the bad part. These were uh, Benjamites. This city that they stayed in was a city of Benjamin. I, I can just remember going up Going up to Shiloh, you see, it's just like Game of Thrones, y'all. You, you, you going up to Shiloh, you see these banners on the side of the road. You are in Benjamin, and it shows a wolf on a flag. That's the insignia of Benjamin. And I, I seriously, until this week, thought that Shiloh was in Benjamin. It's not. It's in Ephraim. It's in. You go out of Benjamin into Ephraim. Um, you can see Shiloh right there, Ephraim. And I don't, I don't, it's a circuitous route from the Dead Sea up there. As a matter of fact, you're, you're gaining almost 3,000 feet. So it's straight up and there's all these switchbacks and you're in a bus that's bulletproof because we're in the, uh, we're in the, what do they call that? The West Bank. West Bank. The occupied. I'll, tell you, I'll talk to you about that. <clears throat> but it's not for bullets. It's for kids throwing rocks. So they, they switch our bus, and they put us in a bulletproof bus. We go up to Shiloh. And when you get to Shiloh, well, we're not there yet. So they say to this, to this guy is like, you've killed my wife, this Levite. He goes back home, and what does he do? Cut to the chase. Somebody tell us what he did. He chopped her up. He cut her up into 12 parts and sent each part to one of the tribes. And I want you to read this verse. <clears throat> well, yeah. Verse, start at 29. And when he reached home, he took a knife and he cut up his concubine, never his wife. Limb by limb, into 12 parts, he sent them into all the areas of Israel. Everyone who saw it said, such a thing has never been done. Not since the day the Israelites came out of Egypt. Think about it. Consider it. Tell us what to do. He sent, sent it with that note on it. Think about it. Consider it. Tell us what to do. The Benjamites thought about it. They considered it. And they said, nah, we're okay with it. And the Israelites said, this will not stand. So they all gathered at Mizpah. We're going to wipe them out. It's the only way. They initially went in to say, give us the men that committed this act. And then when the Benjamites said, we ain't giving them to you, they said, you're all guilty. And so the idea was to slaughter the Benjamites. And I'm not going to read all this to you, but suffice it to say, how many people died at how many people died in the one-day battle at Gettysburg? I'm sorry? 
50,000. 50,000 men on the first. When Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address, he was standing and there were open graves with 50,000 men who had not yet been buried. 50,000. How many men died in the entire Vietnam War? Con Vietnam conflict. It wasn't a war. 50,000. How many people die every year from car crashes in the United States? 50,000. 50,000. So... Here, in the next couple chapters, 65,000 Israelites and Benjamites died. 65,000. What's the total population of Israel at this point in time? After they came out and they entered into the Promised Land, they were given their assignments. You've got to go take this. You've got to take these countries. What does that mean? Take these. Here's, Dan, here's your assignment. You've got to take that. What does that mean? Conquer it. Does that mean wipe everybody out? If it's necessary, yes. If it's necessary, yes. Here's, some, here's an interesting one. You see this little deal right here? Dan. You see this one right here? Big Bersheba's down here somewhere. So when you say any time... Oh, right here. When you see, when somebody says, from Dan to Beersheba, they're saying from New York to Los Angeles. That's what they're saying. But, this is Dan's property. What happened? By the way, if you want to know, this is the Gaza Strip. It's never, ever been a part of Israel. Ever. So when the Israelites moved out in, after the Y River Accord or whatever, it was no big deal. 5,000 people were there trying to settle it. But they just said, you know, it's never been a part of Israel. It's out. Dan couldn't capture it. What, what did he do? Who's the most famous Danite? Samson. Did Samson try to capture Dan? No. He married him. He had a bunch of Danite women. He tried to assimilate and it didn't work. As did most of the tribes. They tried to assimilate and it didn't work. Um, okay. So the point is that over 65,000 people, and here, to me, this is the worst part of this whole story. So they wiped out the Benjamites. There were no women left. Only 600 men. And I left out the part here about the Benjamites because the Benjamites were a tremendous fighting force. They had 700, they had a, a troop with 700 left-handed guys. They were left-handed slingers. They could sling a rock and hit a hare. That's some pretty good slinging. Yet they were all wiped out except for 600 Benjamites. And then the children of Israel started lamenting. But they don't have any wives. How will the tribe of Benjamin go on? And so they looked around and they remembered this one town, uh, Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead did not send anybody to help. And so they went and attacked it. I'm just telling you, 
The whole thing had run amok. Israel as a nation, it wasn't going to be around because they were killing each other. They didn't like each other. Um, some of them were, all of them were adopting the Canaanite religions, which is, you know, Baal worship, um, Asherah poles, uh, fertility rites. There were temple prostitutes. They were all okay with that. We're okay with that. And God was not okay with that. <clears throat> and that's the judgment. But back to the, back to the Benjamites. So they, they ransack Jabesh Gilead and they find 400 virgin girls. And they say to the 600 Benjamites, okay, here are your wives. And they say, well, there's 600 of us. You only gave us 400. <laughs> and so, okay, here's what you do. You hide in the woods. And every year when they make when people come and make their festivals at, at Shiloh, Shiloh if you're uh, if you go to Israel. In Shiloh, if you just hide in the woods and when you see young girls right, just go catch you a couple. It's in scripture. Just go catch you a couple of young girls. <coughs> And so when you see the tribe of Benjamin today, and if somebody identifies himself being part of the tribe of Benjamin, you just go. Did you walk away? I don't know. So then, the next book is Ruth, and just trust me, Ruth does not belong here. Uh, the uh, the uh, book of Ruth in Jewish Bibles comes after the book of Proverbs. Remember Proverbs 31, the great woman? That's where the book of Ruth falls. Okay, so the, these guys mess this up. All right. Yes, ma'am. When they did all the other tribes participate in going down the Yes. They said, we'll send a tenth of our people. A tenth of our people. Uh, ten out of a hundred. I don't know why it says it. Ten out of a hundred. A uh, hundred out of a thousand. A uh, thousand out of ten thousand. And that's what we'll send so you can do this. So yes, they everyone participated except Jabesh Gilead, and they were just close enough that everybody knows. Well, they didn't send anybody, and so we'll just wipe them out. That's how lawless it happens. In the book of Judges, it says uh, there was no king in Israel at this time. So everyone, look at the last verse, book of Judges. It, in those days, Israel had no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. It says that nine times in the book of Judges. Written by Samuel. The precursor to the Messiah. I'm in the first verse of the book of Samuel. There was a certain man from Ramathian. I don't know why they did that. So it's, it's Rama. Right here is Rama. And the Ramathian literally means two peaks. Um, I, I, I suffer from this that I'm now in Shiloh. I'm now looking across the valley at Shiloh. Steve Adams is. Anybody else that's been there is. So it's just, there are no trees. It's just these hills. And we're up on a hill and we look across. Uh, there was a 70-year-old rabbi there. And he said, yeah, my uh, auto mechanic lives right there. But since Hamas 
has entered, and Hamas is the problem. Since Hamas, for, for all his life, he's had a buddy he went to school with that was his auto mechanic, and he said, my car is messed up, and I can't take it to him because Hamas would kill him if I did. And what I'm saying is, you're standing in Shiloh, you're looking at another little town, you're looking at another little town right here, and that's the way it is. You can see these little towns, and those are the little towns we're looking at. Rama, uh, this Ramethian or whatever that is, yeah, Ramethian literally means two peaks. So it's Rama with two peaks. I guess he lived on one of the peaks. A Zufite, not a clue what that means, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkinah, son of Jeroham, son of Elhu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephraimite. Those other things have no relevance to me except look at 1 Chronicles 6. 1 Chronicles 6. Verse 33. From here the men who served together with their sons. This is temple musicians. These people were assigned to be, do music in the temple. From the Kohathites, Herman the musician, the son of Joel, son of Samuel, son of Elkinah, son of Jeroham, Elihai, Toa, and Zuth, the son of Elkinah. That matches exactly what we did. So Elkinah was a Levite, which means he's a holy man. He's a Sadiq. He's a holy man. He lives in Ephraim. Levites did not have, there's no tribal allotment for the Levites. Why? Everybody needs priests. Everybody needs, everybody needs preachers. And I would even go so far as you should pay your elders. No. <clears throat> it's in there. Do not muzzle the ox. Um, everybody needs holy people. And the holy people were assigned. I don't know if Elkanah was assigned to Ephraim, but he was a holy man. And he has a wife. Let's keep going. But wasn't the Levite that had the No. It was. That's how far they've fallen, Luda. That's my point. Yeah, that's how far they've fallen. It was also a Levite who ran the Phineas, who ran the sword through the Moabite, and 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 got. And the only time atonement is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's also a Levite giving credit for that. But these people have fallen, and they can't get up. They don't want to get up. They don't want to get up. They're fine with who they are. He had two wives. One was called Hannah. The other was Penina. Penina had the children. Hannah had none. Now, then, we don't know, but I would, I would surmise that it was kind of like a Sarah, Abraham deal, or, or Hagar in, in that mix. It was kind of, if, if your wife, if y'all not, could not conceive and have children, um, you could, you could pick a concubine, another, and try to have children because the main point at this point in time was having children. Children were the heritage that you would have from the Lord. Um, so, I, we don't know how Penina came on the scene, but Hannah was the one that he loved. 
Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice the Lord Almighty at Shiloh. That's three, um, three times a year in Leviticus, they're commanded to go up to Shiloh where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the tabernacle was, and do it. I still can see, when we got off the bus at Shiloh, I could still see Steve, probably one of the fir- first or second times I was there. When we got off the bus, Steve Adams runs. The, the old, Levi, the old uh, rabbi says, that's where, that's where the tabernacle stood. Steve Adams runs to the place, and he's going. <laughs> and he does that, and he goes all around, and he goes, that's it! That's the exact measurements. That's exactly where it was. And I'm like, great, Steve. Thanks for sharing. They told us that. <laughs> but he had to count it off. And the way you counted it off was it's a flat level spot in among all these hills. And they've like got little trenches where the tent, when the rain came off the tent, that would go in the trenches and go out. It was amazing. It stood at Shiloh for 400 years. Uh, while we're, while we're doing that, I have no idea where my slides go. But this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. This is the court of the tabernacle. People would enter the court. Enter the court. There's the altar, the lavalier. They would go in. This is the holy place. Who can go in the holy place? The priests. This is the holy of holies. Who can go in the holy of holies? The high priest, one time a year, um, it's not Rosh Hashanah, it's um, Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. One time a year. The high priest is going there. Why? Because the cherubim, these big winged cherubim, are over the Ark of the Covenant. And where does God live on earth? He lives between the wings of the cherubim. That's where God is. I'm going to show you something. How much time do I got? I have no clue. Okay, I can do this. All right. Uh, by the way, I want to show you one more. This is a, a breakdown of this. I just want to show you. It, they, they moved around the desert and they'd set this tent up and they carried this tent with them for the 40 years. And then it was there for 400 years. The outer deal was badger skin woven together. This was ram skin dyed red as a substitutionary sacrifice. Woven goat hair. I don't. This is like a blanket. I don't know, but that's what covered the whole thing. And I guess with that much insulation, it stayed pretty relatively. Uh, hospitable inside. What do you think? Alright. Um, year after year, this man went up to the town to worship the Lord Almighty. And that's uh, Yahweh Shaboeth, which is Lord of Armies. It's used 280 times in Samuel and in these books right here. Because God is the army. By the way, the book of, the book of Joshua is about the conquests of the people of the Lord when God is on your side. When you have a worthy leader and Joshua prayed to the Lord every time they had a battle and got the instructions for that. The book of Judges is about the people falling away from God and God 
is not on your side, He will wipe you out. And every once in a while, He raises up somebody to be a judge. Now what is the function of a judge? Anybody? Yes. Primary function, military leader. Think about Deborah and Barack. She was a military Military leader. Uh, because they're in conquest. That's their whole deal. They're, they're in conquest over, over everybody. Um, the best, you know the best example, I was laying awake thinking about this the other night. And for me, that gets harder and harder because I don't lay awake much. When my head hits a pillow, I'm out. Um, but I, I, was, I was thinking about this the other night. The best example of a judge for us is William Wallace. He was in an unelected position. He rose to that position because he was a leader. And everybody knew it. Everybody put their faith in it. That's a judge. That's a judge. Yes. William Wallace... Scottish Her- I'm sorry, Scottish Heritage William Wallace. We're not going to give it to Robert the Bruce because he was elected, but he didn't do it. All right. <clears throat> Hannah, okay, uh, I'm at verse 3. You, you know this story. You know this story. So he, he loved Hannah, and the Bible tries to prove that he loves Hannah by the fact that he gave her a double portion of the meat. He took care of all of um, Penina's sons, he took care of Penina. But when it came to Hannah, he gave her a double portion. And then, she, and then she would be sad, and her countenance was down. And he would just be the brilliant husband and say, but Hannah, am I not worth ten sons? Has there ever been a dumber statement made? That's not what she want, Mike? Mike, do you teach against that? Uh, yeah, that do <laughs> <laughs> Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? No, that's what it should say. Once again, when they finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. I, I don't think Scripture does this proper uh, make, sets this stage enough, but. Think about all the conversations that Hannah and Penina and Elkanah had and Hannah's children would say, but mommy, doesn't Hannah want any children? Oh yes, but she just can't give your father children. And she's had enough. We're getting ready to go extra biblical here, George. Hannah stood up Eli the priest was sitting on his chair, sitting on his chair, probably right here in the doorway. Who can enter this area? Only high priests. Only priests. Who can enter that area? High priests. He's guarding the entrance to the priest deal. It doesn't say it in Scripture. It doesn't even allude to it in Mishnah or Talmud. But it's legend. This rabbi, this old rabbi, did he tell you the old old guy with the prayer shawl on it? He says that Hannah went and she walked, Eli was sleeping in his chair. She walked straight in 
got right there looking into the Holy of Holies and prayed her prayer to God. And when she came out, Eli says, you got to be drunk. I could kill you. You should die for what you just did. You can't go in there. And Anna says, been dying for a long time. You either kill me or you give me a son. He called their bluff. Or she called their bluff. I love that. Don't have any clue that that happens. But I can't read this without thinking about that. And sure enough, Eli said, well, you just need to get out of here. I think it'll work, okay? And she goes home and she has Samuel. Um, When the man Elkanah went up to his family to offer the annual sacrifice, at 21, and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him to the Lord, and he will live there as always. You know, um, when she made her promise to God, she said that he, what would she do? She'd raise him up a son, and there would be no razor ever touch his head. It was, a, it was a Nazarite vow. If you go back several chapters, if you go back to Judges 13 and look at Samuel's father, that's another family that couldn't have children. And they make promises. He'll be a Nazarite. I'm going to make this statement, George, and correct me if I'm wrong. There's no instance in the Bible where there are man and woman who can't have children that the Bible presents that ultimately does not have children. They all ultimately have children. Even Abraham and Sarah when they're 100 years old. That's fascinating. If anybody comes up with one, tell me before you tell George. Um, So they went up. This is the next year. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was. How old do you think he was? Three, can you imagine dropping a three-year-old off with fat Eli, who's 98, and his two bums sons, Hophni and Phineas, in the middle of the desert and saying, I want him to serve God. I'll see you next year. And if I were, if I were, if I were, uh, this close, Shiloh to Rama. That's a day's walk. I might just sit me up a tent right there at Shiloh and walk. God, you can have him, but can I have him at night? Um, and then, um, I pray for the child. The Lord granted me. I ask of him. Now I give him to the Lord, for his whole life will be over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Literally, chapter 1 and 2 are the table of contents for the book of Samuel. We now go to Hannah's prayer. And um, I'm going to tell you, I could read this. I have nothing to add to this. This is an incredible prayer. It's a psalm. This is what I want you to think about. So this woman, we don't know anything about her level of education. 
We know she was grown up in the back country. Uh, either for, well, she had to be of the new generation because the old generation died in the wilderness wanderings. So she had grown up being taught, and she read this prayer and think about her faith. Read this prayer and think. Her prayer is being studied. Three thousand years later, it's scripture. I don't think the Holy Spirit just poured it out. I think the Holy Spirit helped these ideas, and this is scripture. It's amazing. Um, that's where I'm going to end it. Let, let me do one more thing, real quick, if I could. So, if you if you cover the timeline, and this is not exact. But if you say Abraham was 2000 BC, and you say if Moses was 1500 BC, so that's somewhere around there, around the Exodus, I may miss it by a few years, but that's kind of where he is. David is at uh, 1000 BC. The, uh, anybody know what year the temple was destroyed? 586. 586 BC. We have the divided kingdom, the temple destroy, temple destruction. And then we have Jesus at all. I love getting conversations with Jews and they say. Well, that would be BCE, like before the common era. What made that era common? They'll just walk away. It's right. <laughs> okay, um, but that's the timeline. Samuel, Samuel is about 1050. Solomon was inaugurated 971. Uh, so we're right in this area right here. That's what we want. Anybody? We're done. Adios.